It's time to check in with the Vancouver Suns, Vaughn Palmer. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jill. Nice to hear the Rolling Stones again. <laughs> yes. So excited. It's like they've been around forever, and I guess they have. <laughs> it does feel that way. Uh, very excited to be giving those tickets away a little bit later on in the show. Uh, Vaughn, let's talk about housing. Certainly there has yeah. been no shortage when it comes to housing and discussion on that. Yeah, it's been an unusually busy fall session of the legislature back when the BC Liberals were the government. Sometimes they didn't even bother with a fall session. They had so little to talk about. Uh, The New Democrats are very active. Premier David Eby took over, sworn in as premier a year ago and promised major action on housing. And this session of the legislature, we've seen five major pieces of legislation dealing with housing and the premier's promise to build more, develop more, make it more affordable. So all of that legislation is before the legislature. Most of it still hasn't been passed. Some of it has not even been scrutinized in detail. The legislature is scheduled to adjourn on Thursday. The New Democrats have the votes to make that happen. But As we approach that day, Jill, uh, the government's intentions are all laid out, but there are still some major unanswered questions about what all this means. And it's not just the news media, Jill, that's asking those questions. A lot of mayors and councillors want to know, how is this actually going to work for us? And we don't have all the answers by any means. So when we talk about that, though, and, and, and asking those questions and this idea of an economic model that the government has seen and knows all about, but they're not letting other people hear about this or look at this before even voting on it. Now, that's a very good example of just how big the challenge is. So the government on November the 1st brought in one of these five pieces of legislation. It basically signals the end to exclusive zoning for single-family homes across the province. 85 towns and cities covered by it, pretty much everywhere but rural BC. So that's the legislation. That's the goal. When you try to find out the details of how all this is going to work, what they say again and again, Jill, is, well, you're going to have to wait for the regulations. Those are passed by cabinet, outlined by the bureaucracy, And they'll tell you how it's actually going to work. But we haven't been given those. And we're not going to be given those before the end of the month. So the legislature will have passed the bills and uh, without knowing all the details. Um, you, You referred to this economic model. So this came up last week. When the government announced this legislation that was going to create all these multi unit homes in what were formerly single family neighborhoods, They said the legislation could lead to 130,000 new multi-unit homes over 10 years. And they also indicated it might actually lead to a drop in housing prices, which I've been around a long time, Jill. I haven't seen that happen very often. So one of the opposition members, a very effective one, Adam Olson of the Greens, got up last week and said, could we see the model on which all this is based? Could we like see how you figured out it was 130,000 new homes. And the minister said, nope, you can't have it. We're going to release it, but we're not releasing it until after all the other regulations are approved by cabinet, which will happen, you know, in December.
next month. So Olson asks the question, are you telling us that we won't get to see the basis for the legislation until after the legislation is approved? And the answer, Jill, is yes. So that's the world we're in. We're going to get the legislation. The government is the votes to pass it. But we won't know till next month how it's all going to work and why they claim it's 130,000 units of housing are going to result. Well, and those numbers, too, like you said, so they're saying 130,000 multi-unit homes. And the possibility that you mentioned, the government is saying this could see a 7 to 14% drop in housing prices. I mean, how could they possibly make that prediction? There are so many other factors that they have nothing to do with. Uh, yes. <laughs> Look, we haven't seen the model. They, they hired an outside company uh, to do the model. They've said almost nothing about what the model says. They haven't shared it with anyone. And... The cabinet's seen it, presumably, since they approved the legislation. The bureaucracy must have seen it since they drafted the legislation. But they said, well, you'll understand how this is going to work when you see all these regulations which aren't drafted and released yet. I mean, Hmm. look, we can talk about it and talk about holes in what the government's saying and explaining. But think about being a mayor and councillor, you know, the, uh, the, the local city bureaucracy. They you've got. Towns and cities in British Columbia that have zoning, that spent years developing the zoning, have all kinds of reasons for uh, the rules they have and the rules they don't have. And we know that those can add up to obstacles to building things. But they're supposed to just sit there, uh, wait for the regulations. But the government's got a gun to their head because the government's already told mayors, councils, city bureaucracies, you've got to change your zoning regulation to suit our legislation by next June. Well, those mayors and councils and city uh, bureaucrats, they don't have the regulations that they have to adapt to yet. They're out there guessing what they're going to say, but they've only been given till next June. So you've got regulations, local bylaws, zoning rules and policies that have built up over the years, you've been given till next June to rewrite them all to suit the provincial government, and they still haven't given you the basic paperwork that you need to adapt to. I mean, this is, it's amazing to me that more mayors and councils aren't out there protesting. I think what they're doing is they're saying, okay, well, you know, maybe we can get Victoria to cough up some more money for infrastructure. Uh, We don't want to pick a fight with the provincial government that's leading in the opinion polls. But it's really outrageous to say you got till next June to get everything in line and we're not going to give you the details details and the paperwork until it suits us. Continuing now with the Vaughn Palmer with The View from Victoria. And Vaughn, before the break, you were talking about how local governments, civic governments are being told change your zoning. They don't have all of the details. There's a bit of pushback, not all that much pushback. But I think what could maybe get people talking more is this idea that going ahead with this and doing these transit projects, really building up and and bringing in the density, we could see a lot of dem evictions. Yeah. Look, some of what the government's doing here, people I'm sure will go, yeah, that makes sense. You know, the the classic example is the BC SkyTrain station, which has a single family home next to it. 
Uh, government has gone in and they've said, look, around SkyTrain stations, rapid transit, around major bus exchanges, we're going to allow the construction, we're going to dictate the construction of buildings, multi-unit buildings of up to 20 stories. Uh, I get it, right? It makes sense. But you also know the example. Andy Yan of Simon Fraser University has come out with a very good study. He actually looked at the maps. Okay, where are the transit lines? Where are the bus loops? What kind of housing around? What he found was what you just said, Joe. There's a, uh, it's true that there's some of these stations are in single family zoning areas and that's going to end. But he's also said you've got a lot of buildings around these transit lines that are either heritage buildings, so that's Chinatown, Gastown, and Vancouver. And you've also got low-rise rental buildings, old buildings. They're, they're comparatively low rent rates. I mean, there's no real low rent rates in BC, but comparatively low. And his great concern is what you're going to get is what you just said, Joel. You're going to get these buildings are going to go on the market. They're going to get torn down. They're going to get replaced with expensive high rises. The people are going to be evicted. And of course, the example he uses is the one that's well known, Metrotown. Uh, Mayor of uh, Burnaby, Derek Corrigan, eventually went through so much controversy out there over what resulted in Metrotown, tearing down a whole bunch of buildings, tenants being thrown out. The new mayor of uh, Burnaby, Mike Hurley, is saying, yeah, he's, uh, he's certainly sympathetic to what the government's trying to do, but he's saying we do not want Metrotown 2.0 anywhere. So this is a good example to me, uh, Joe, of how you know there hasn't really been enough debate in the legislature about this. Uh, local governments are trying to digest the implications of five pieces of legislation with huge holes in them. And I think, you know, you've got a government that's in a rush, for sure. We've got an election coming next year. The premier's determined to show results. But I think we're going to be picking up the pieces from this for some time to come and clarifying. And maybe the government's going to have to back off some of this eventually. Hmm. Well, uh, that's uh, interesting for sure. And uh, Vaughn, I wanted to ask you as well, uh, the uh, the backlash over treatment facilities, when we're talking about mental health and substance issues, and specifically the one centre, the Redfish Centre. Yeah, so Redfish is on the site of the old Riverview thing out in the Tri-Cities area, and it's been pointed to by the BC United Opposition, by the NDP government, by Health Canada as the way to go in the future. It is a facility that has, I think, what, 105 treatment beds. It's for people who've, it's failed with, they've, the system has failed them elsewhere. So mental health and addiction issues. Uh, everybody says this is the way to go to the future, but we're getting a report of the downside. And the issue is, Part of the way that center works, Jill, is that uh, the people who go there and who get treatment there are given passes to return to the community. That's part of the treatment and the getting them to the next phase of their lives. However, when they don't come back on the pass, uh, the police have to be called to look for them. And there's a report gone to... Uh, so the, uh, the Coquitlam RCMP uh, deal with POCO and Coquitlam, and a report from the RCMP says it's costing a lot of money. It is costing the equivalent of basically the time of four RCMP officers hmm. uh, a day to deal with this. Not every day, but spread over time. 
they estimate a half a million dollars a year in police overtime, police staffing, in order to go and find these people and fetch them back to the to Redfish. Um, it, nobody's saying Redfish isn't the way to go, but the mayor of Port Coquitlam, Brad West, has gone to the provincial government and said, the people in this facility come from all over British Columbia. You've sent your hardest cases here. Our local communities are picking up the entire cost of going to look for these people when they don't return to the facility. And we think, meaning Coquitlam and Port Coquitlam, we think the provincial government should pick it, picking up the cost because you're sticking our communities with the policing service for a facility that's serving all of British Columbia. And the fallout on this matters, Jill, because both BC United opposition and the New Democrats are saying we're going to build more of these facilities around British Columbia, which means the problem is going to be coming to other communities as well. Hmm. Any chance you think that the province is going to help out with the funding? I think they're going to have to. Um, you know, Brad West is very well connected politically. You know how effective he is. Uh, he has a connection directly to the Solicitor General, Mike Farnworth. He used to work for Mike Farnworth. Uh, Brad West is thought to be the next NDP candidate for that riding if, uh, if Mike Farnworth ever retires. And Farnworth, by the way, says he's not retiring before the next election. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a good case. It, it, he, they're not saying this isn't the way to go. A lot of people think this kind of facility uh, with the treatment, the, the on-site treatment with the, the, that is going to get good results, letting the people come and go a bit so they've got a little bit of leeway in their lives is a good idea. But you're going to have to deal with the problem, which is significant of the people who, I mean, these people are addicts and some of them have mental health issues and some of them have both. It's not surprising. They don't always follow the rules in their past and don't return you got to track them down because of the likely impact on the community, because if you don't, you'll undermine support in the community for facilities like Red Fish. If we're going to have a half dozen of these spread around the province, which is what the opposition's talking about, those communities aren't going to want to take facilities like this unless both the unintended leave issue and the cost of policing issue are dealt with. All right, so we will watch what happens with that one for sure. Vaughn, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye, Jill.